Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They'll chat about topics like the state of boxing and sports, music, culture, and family life, along with being a husband and a girl dad. So listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown Lions. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein, and we're just going to start the show a little bit differently today. We'll have our Jaguars Lions preview with Mike DiRocco coming up in a few minutes, but I want to talk about something else first. I just wanted to say a couple words about, I guess, why I feel the way I, I do today. And that is because if you haven't seen the news that has been tweeted probably by almost every NFL reporter and almost all of my colleagues at ESPN, Vaughn McClure, who was our Falcons beat reporter, who is actually going to be on this podcast a week from today, um, died uh, at age 48. And... It's been a really hard day for for me. It's been a really hard day for my colleagues um, because we're even though we're we're spread out across the country, we're we're a pretty close group. We talk a lot, some of us more than others, but we talk a lot. And and with Vaughn, uh, I I know Vaughn well before that. Vaughn and I met in two thousand and I think it was two thousand and seven. Uh, I was covering Notre Dame in Fort Wayne. Vaughn was covering Notre Dame for the Chicago Sun-Times. And we spent a lot of time together then. And uh, I wrote about it on Facebook, on my personal Facebook page. But competing against Vaughn was hard. (laughs) The guy was relentless. And he worked so hard and he got so many nuggets that you're just like, how, how did you get that? And he just was so good at what he did that it made me better at my job. And there'd be times I'd be so frustrated competing against him. But the thing about Vaughn is as hard as he, he worked and as relentless as he was as a reporter, he was and this always sounds cliche, but in this case, it's absolutely true. He he was that much better as a person and that much better as a guy. And 
just always so kind and so supportive and so just would cheer you on and, and wanted to only see the best for you and only had kind things to say about you and and that and everybody has those stories and you you can see that on twitter and you know it's one of those things that when everybody says it that just tells you the type of person that that Vaughn was and I don't know it's it's been hard to to put into words how I feel I mean I've known known Vaughn for 13 years and I remember when we became colleagues at ESPN just I was excited because I knew how good Vaughn is at his job and you know you saw that every day with him covering the Falcons and you know, I, how how much passion and energy he brought to his work. And, you know, I, I when you would see him, you, he'd just hug you and he'd give you a big hug and he'd tell you how proud he is of you. And, and God, I'm going to miss that. I, I miss him already, uh, as I know so many of my colleagues do today. Um... I've got really nothing to say about the Lions right now. Uh, honestly, have been in a fog most of the day and, and haven't paid as much of attention uh, as as I usually do. So hopefully uh, you understand that. And Mike Duraco and I recorded this uh, earlier in the week. So it was obviously well before um, either one of us found out about Vaughn. And I uh, hope you get something from our conversation previewing the Lions and the Jaguars, uh, which will be coming up right after this. But Vaughn, I'm going to miss you. Love you, ma'am. And uh, yeah, just uh, for all those listening, just, you know, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your family uh, how much they mean to you while the, while you're there, while they're here. Because, I mean, just these last 12 months, we've seen it so much with with death and and with you know people being gone too soon that uh you know you need that reminder every once in a while everybody does of just you know tell people how much they matter to you it's you can never say that too much to somebody not ever we'll be back right after this break with uh with the lions and jaguars preview Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million, yes, that's 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. 
Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein Show covers the Jacksonville Jaguars for ESPN.com. So he understands the misery of mediocre or worse football as well as many of the listeners do. Mike Taraka, we go back a long way. And thanks for coming on the Michael Rothstein Show. Yeah, I think it's more or less uh, – mediocre would be an improvement here. But uh, I'm doing good. How are you, Mike? Thank you for I'm, having me. I'm doing pretty well. And let's just jump right in there, right? So <laughs> – where is this Jaguars team? Because their roster, to me at least, doesn't look terrible, but yet they just seem like they might also be the third worst team in the NFL. Yeah, they're, when I started covering them in 2013, that was essentially an expansion team. This, the, the talent on this roster is significantly better than that. They've got three or four guys on both sides of the ball that are good young core talents they can build around Josh Allen, Miles Jack, CJ Henderson, and on offense, Chark and James Robinson, um, you know, and somebody that some of those guys on the offensive line, Juwan Taylor, right tackle. Uh, so they've got some pieces, but they don't have the quarterback uh, at this point. They're still trying to figure that out, see if Minshew's the guy and they just don't play smart football and that's the biggest issue with this team is that they're they're just not smart they're it's hard to explain but like i feel like people kind of get it that watch the lions and cover the lions like you kind of understand what bad football is when you see it because a lot of people don't understand what bad football is but this this everything they do is wrong And, and it's just such a it it's such a ridiculous um way to phrase it but it's almost like everything they turn everything they touch just falls apart it's so that's where this franchise is i well so (laughs) interestingly you said that they're still trying to figure out if gardner Minshew's the guy but gardner Minshew seems to be something that the jaguars touched that has gone largely right so i guess what are the questions they have with Minshew at this point and are they answerable with this regime? Uh, the biggest thing with him is uh, he's got to start learning how to stay in the pocket better. Um, that he does bolt a little bit early, and that's something they're trying to work on with him. Um, he's not got a, He doesn't have a real big arm, so he's not really driving the ball into some tight windows. He's not really throwing guys open, uh, which you have to be able to do in the NFL. He does throw a good deep ball but he doesn't really attack the middle of the field either. 
So those are the biggest issues that they've got to get from him. He's a phenomenal leader. Everybody in the locker room loves him. He's got the grit, the moxie, whatever you want to say, um, but he's not the most um, physically gifted quarterback. He's about six foot. Like I said, he doesn't have a cannon for an arm. Um, and, and what happens around here is he gets measured against the quarterbacks that have been here. And when you look at the quarterbacks that have been here, we can hold Minshew up really high and say, yeah, he's probably the best that they've had since Mark Brunel. But the problem is, is that, is that good enough to be a team, to lead a team to the playoffs and to raise the talent level around you into a playoff caliber team? It doesn't look like it. Now he's got the whole rest of the year to kind of prove it. Um, but if he doesn't, and he's been playing um, pretty badly the last couple of weeks, then, you know, they're going to be stuck with the decision of where do we go from here. Now, when you say that he's been kind of the best quarterback since Brunel, is that just because of what you've seen so far, or is that a potential play also, where it's like he maybe has more upside than some of the other guys? Because Bortles played well there. Obviously, Bortles became what he became, but Bortles played okay for a little while. They obviously had Nick Foles for like two seconds. They David Garrard wasn't a terrible quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, at least in my no. opinion. No, I mean, the thing with the thing you like about Blake is he doesn't turn the ball over. Um, you know, he really is pretty good with the football. Um, he doesn't take a lot of chances, which is something that you really kind of want your guy to do every once in a while, take calculated chances. Um, but he doesn't put them in really bad situations. And that's, that's kind of, it's a bad thing to use when evaluating quarterbacks, but he's a smart kid and he's not going to make the wrong throw at the wrong time. And he's pretty accurate. So, you know, with Bortles, he threw a ton of interceptions, turned the ball over. Um, you never knew what you were going to get with Bortles. Um, you would have to wait until the first, especially that last year in 2018, you have to wait to see the first two drives. And then you would go, okay, good Blake is here today. And then you knew you had a chance to win. But then if you looked up and it was like, ooh, bad Blake is here, you got no shot. Um, so from that standpoint, the consistency is much better. Gerard had a couple of good years, um, but he wasn't anything special. Um, and, you know, Leftwich was sort of the same way. Um, I do think that this kid could be a 10, 12-year guy in the league in terms of a, of a backup. And he's certainly a guy that you can win games with um, if you surround him with a lot of talent. But is he a guy that elevates? I, I don't think he is. So looking at the injury report on Wednesday, he might also be without his top two receivers, or at least there's some question there. What's going on with DJ Chark and with LaVosca Chanel? Yes, Chark has an ankle issue that he injured last week against um, Houston. And if he's not able to play, that's, that's a big loss because he didn't play against Miami and the Jags really struggled to move the ball consistently. He's the guy that sort of stretches the field. He makes things easier for the guys underneath. And without him in the lineup, they really weren't able to do much. And uh, Chris Conley had a terrible game. Nobody else really stepped up to kind of fill that void. So um, if he can't play, that's a huge blow. Chenault has got a hamstring injury. Uh, my understanding is, is that's going to be one of those things that they're going to have to nurse along um, because really with hamstrings, unless you shut a guy down and put him on the shelf for a while, they never really quite 100% heal. So he played last week with it as well. So I'm expecting him to play this week too. So do you, at this point, do you expect Chark to play? Or um, is that going to be a true Sunday decision? Or I, From what I've heard, I think he's going to play, but you never know. Um, I wouldn't expect them to list him as anything but questionable on, uh, on the injury, the final injury report, the game report. So 
Um, but I, I would lean toward him playing this week. They've had, it's interesting because when you look at Jacksonville over the last few years, they've had a bunch of these receivers that have popped because like they had Keelan Cole, they had D.D. Westbrook. Where have those guys gone? <laughs> um, Keelan Cole is actually, he's a neat story because he bursts onto the scene as an undrafted rookie, um, has a pretty good rookie year. Then he comes back in 2018 and he makes this great catch against the Patriots. And then he has probably the worst month of any receiver I've ever seen. He had four drops, I think it was, or five drops, lost a fumble. It was off. We got in the doghouse, stayed in the doghouse last year until the end of the year. Uh, he's starting to come on now. So he's sort of been up and down. Westbrook, uh, 66 catches the last two years and just can't get on the field now because you have uh, Chark and you have Conley and Cole, like I said, is coming on and they love Chenault. And they really like the kid that they drafted out of Texas in the fifth round, uh, Colin Johnson, big, tall kid, can go up and get the ball really good in the red zone. So Westbrook just really hasn't been able to get on the field because he hasn't done enough in practice uh, to, to surpass any of those guys. And don't forget Allen Robinson, by the way. This team had Allen Robinson and refused to franchise him and let him go. So <laughs> that's another guy that uh, they should actually have right now, which would make this team significantly better. Is Now – like you're talking about Allen Robinson, is that one of those decisions that you were talking about where like everything they seem to do turns to awful? Is that one of them where it's like they, they took a gamble and that gamble paid off horribly for them? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now he was coming off a torn ACL. So maybe I get you don't want to pay a ton of money to that kid, but look what he's done in Chicago. I, I really would love to see Allen Robinson, by the way, play with a really good quarterback. Like, what could his, could his numbers be if he played for, like, Stafford, for example? Like, his numbers would be astronomical um, because he's done it. Like DeAndre Hopkins did early in his career, he's done it with not a whole lot of quarterback help. But, you know, him um, not finding a way to, to resolve the relationship with Jalen Ramsey, not finding a way to resolve the relationship issue with Unique Ngakwe, um, the whole uh, decision to extend Bortles instead of just letting him play on the fifth-year option, signing foals, giving them 50 plus million guaranteed and then four games and, and then you bench them and then you trade them. And, and it's just, it, it, it's just one after another, those kind of decisions that have really just kind of left them where they are. It's just, we could go on for hours of all the bad decisions this group has made. You didn't even mention Leonard Fournette, by the way. Uh, well, I completely, exactly. There's my point. I could, I just glossed over Fournette, taking Fournette fourth overall over, Watson over Mahomes uh, in 2018. Here we go. Taking Taven Bryant with the 28th overall pick with Lamar Jackson still sitting there. Um, so, you know, look back in the day, they took a punter in the third round instead of taking Russell Wilson because the year before they had drafted Blaine Gabbard. Okay. So where else can they go wrong? I mean, just one after another, after another. And I, I looked it up, I think since 2000 and, I want to say it's like 2006, 2005. They've extended first round picks twice. Twice. And they've been picking in the top 10 since then. So what does that tell you? Everything they do is wrong. <laughs> well, all right, but you know, I'm so being a little harsh there. I mean, they do make, they, they do have, like, take a mention in the sixth round was a good pick. Uh, Tark in the second round was a good pick. You know, they, they signed Calais Campbell as a free agent. Obviously, he was fantastic here. A.J. Boye had a really good year here, too. Um, 
you know, they drafted Ramsey, who was a good player. They just couldn't keep him. So they do make some really good decisions and some stuff works. But I mean, man, when you just go back and look at the mistakes over and over again, it just, you, you go, that's why they're in the position they're in. Do you think that they don't get enough heat for taking Fournette and passing on the quarterbacks? Because we see what happens in Chicago with Trubisky. And maybe it's because it's quarterback versus quarterback. But do you think that they don't get enough heat or they should get more heat for that? They get heat from it. Um, the thing of it was is that it was Coughlin was in charge then and Coughlin was enamored with the big backs. And that was a 100% Tom Coughlin pick. They decided to go ahead and extend Bortles, okay? Or excuse me, wait, no, that was 2018. Uh, yeah, they picked up the fifth-year option on Bortles, and he had just come off the best year of his, uh, one of the best years of his career to that point. Um, and instead of taking the quarterback, Coughlin believed that he could take that kid and he could make him be a game manager, not turn the ball over, basically play a ball control offense and let the defense win games. Uh, and in order to do that, you need the big back. I mean, he's the guy who drafted Fred Taylor, you know, during his time uh, with the Jaguars before he wanted to draft Lawrence Phillips. He wanted to draft uh, Curtis Enos. I mean, he was enamored with those big backs. So there was no way that they weren't going to take Fournette. Um, but yeah, they've been got, they've gotten criticism for it and they should. But um, you don't know, I don't think it's fair to rip them for not taking Mahomes because I don't know that anybody, save Andy Reid, kind of thought this was what Mahomes was going to become. But certainly we all knew that Watson was going to be a really productive and good player in the league. And they decided to just go, you know what, we'll take Fournette. And, and it seemed like it worked that first year. Um, but then Bortles played awful in 17, or excuse me, in 18, and, and then it all fell apart from there. One more thing on, on Bortles and kind of their quarterback carousel to lack for lack of a better term is how much of a, a jolt did they get from the good place because that's the first time the jags i think have ever been like culturally like brought up right i mean like manny Jacinto basically made them relevant for like four years for a certain subsect of the american population yeah i don't know that they got a jolt as much as it was sort of like a little bit sheepish because, I mean, they were taken shy. It was a joke that Bortles was, was mentioned in the good place. Um, people around here liked it, obviously. I mean, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, Bortles liked it. He got a kick out of it. He's got a really good sense of humor. I mean, and I say all this stuff about Blake, but Blake's a really good dude. I really like Blake a lot. Funny guy, was very self-deprecating. Um, so he kind of understood all that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, people around here kind of liked it. It wasn't uh, – it wasn't – you know, people weren't angry. They were just kind of like, well, that's kind of the way everybody views us anyway. So I get, I mean, I, I love the good place personally. It's one of my favorite shows, unfortunately no longer on television, but one of my favorite shows probably period, maybe in like my top 10 all time. And just the way they even worked in Foles and Minshew was just right. brilliant. <laughs> it was, I didn't see a lot of that show. Um, but once you know, it started coming out that they were, you know, Bortles and the Jags and all that other stuff. I watched some episodes and it's pretty cool. I did not watch all the whole series, but um, it's pretty creative and it was pretty funny. And, and people around here got a kick out of it. That's for sure. You mean, so like, I, I don't know if you remember this, but when Calvin Johnson was on Dancing with the Stars, I had to watch Dancing with the Stars every week that he was on and write yes. about it. So you yes. did not have to do like a weekly, like were the Jags mentioned no, on the Good Place Report? No, but 
No, because, I mean, we never knew what they were going to say, when they were going to say it. I never did the Bortles report. No, did not do the Bortles on the Good Place report. <laughs> oh, man. that would I would have read that every week. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, saying. I missed an opportunity there. Missed one. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at, at this offense, that you mentioned James Robinson. Where did they find him? And did you expect, from what you maybe saw during camp, for him to have the type of impact he's having as a rookie? Yeah, there was a couple of scouts that had seen him play, um, and he didn't have a pro day because of the COVID uh, at Illinois State there. So, um, you know, he was able to kind of slip through. Didn't have a great uh, combine either. Um, so, you know, he kind of was sort of an afterthought for a lot of teams, and, and the Jags uh, considered drafting him later in the, in the sixth or seventh round, but they found, found some other guys they liked more, and they felt like they could get him as an unrestricted – or undrafted free agent. And they brought him in, um, you know, and, and, and he flashed there, you know, he flashed in camp. There's no doubt about it, but I never expected this. I mean, up until the day he was cut, Fournette was taking first team reps and took the majority of the first team reps, he took the majority of the first team reps in the scrimmage the Saturday before he got cut. So, um, and it's interesting, you know, Jay Gruden, the offensive coordinator, said the other day when he was discussing LaVisca Chenault, he's like, you know, we had so much more planned for Chenault in the run game, but, you know, James has played so well, we don't really need to use him there as much, which says to me that as much as they said, okay, we believe in James Robinson and he can be the guy, there still was a little bit of skepticism there if they were planning to use Chenault in the run game that much. Uh, so I think he's even surprised them a little bit, um, but he's been really, really productive. I think the thing that they like about him most is, um, he's very decisive, gets the ball, hits the hole. He's a big kid. He's got a little bit of wiggle. He can make a move and go, but he is not hesitating behind that line of scrimmage. And that was one of the issues that they had with Fournette on the field was that sometimes he'd dance around back there. He'd be too tentative. Um, he'd miss a hole. Uh, and with Robinson, it's certainly get the ball go and he's going to get what he can get. And, and, you know, getting him down, I think he's only had one carry of negative yards um, in the first four weeks of the year. So that's pretty impressive for a kid that uh, nobody knew anything about. So when he sees a matchup like he's going to face Sunday against the Lions, where they're allowing rushing yards to everybody, it doesn't really matter who you are, does he get real excited about that? Because maybe this is a game where he can even get more attention, not because the Lions and Jaguars are must-see TV for anybody, maybe even in the Detroit and Jacksonville markets at this point, but just the fact that like, you know, if he goes for 120, 130, he might get more attention. Like, is that something that you think he either will notice or that the Jaguars might key on is like, let's really try to run at the Lions because they can't stop anyone. Well, here's the thing. The last two weeks they faced the, la uh, the worst rushing defenses in the NFL at, at the time that they were playing. And last week they played the Texans, giving up 180 yards a game on the ground. Okay. He got 13 carries. Jay Gruden said, you know what, I've gotten away from the pass, or gotten away from the run and gotten too pass happy the last several games. That's on me. It's the third or third week in a row he said that. So I'm expecting them to stick with the run much, much more this year, this week than they did the last several weeks. And because, you know, the Lions are not very good at stopping the run, it seems like a sound game plan. Now, if they get behind because their defense can't stop anybody, that goes out the window. But I do think that that's going to be the game plan this week, especially after not getting it done the last several weeks. And, and Robinson's like a real humble, quiet kid. So in terms of, you know, him wanting all this attention, 
I mean, he, he when he found out he was rookie of the month, he was sort of like, oh, I mean, that, that was cool. I didn't know, you know, someone told me that was really cool, but I just want to win. And, you know, the, the 100,000% cliche that the rookies, you know, dump because the veterans are, you know, yelling at him, don't say anything stupid. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm sure he'll be excited. And he really needs to be a bigger part of this game plan because it, it's just not worked the last several weeks. Jay Gruden said, look, we, we won one game, and that game is the game that Gardner Minshew threw 20 balls. We ran it really well. So I think that's what we're going to see this week against the Lions. Especially since the Lions are averaging 170 yards allowed per game on the ground. Right, worse than the league now, right, I think is what it is. I believe so. I, I'm writing – yeah, I'm writing about the defense later this week. Uh, I believe it's running Saturday. And, yeah, yeah, they are, um, they are very bad on the ground. Uh, it's, it's not gone well. Hasn't gone well since the end of 2018, <laughs> if, we're being, if we're being honest. It's been a persistent problem. But you mentioned their defense can't stop anyone. What, how has Josh Allen been? Because I think that when people look at – and we'll start there defensively, because I think when people look at the Jaguars, they think, well, if the Jags had taken TJ Hawkinson, which was a possibility, mm-hmm. you know – that maybe Josh Allen would be a lion and maybe things are, are different. How has Josh Allen been in Jacksonville? Uh, he was great as a rookie, but he was playing with Clayus Campbell on the other side and unique Ngakwe on the field. And he played only 60% of the defensive snaps, but still 10 and a half sacks. And you could make an argument that he could have been the defensive rookie of the year. Been really disappointing this year. Um, it, it, he is the guy. He's the main pass rusher. He's the only pass rusher, in fact, that they have. He's not winning as many one-on-ones as he needs to. Um, and teams are chipping and they are rolling protections his way to kind of make sure that, that he doesn't beat them. But he's, when he's getting one-on-ones, he's not winning enough. Um, and that's something that, you know, defensive coordinator Todd Walsh has said, he's got to win more one-on-ones. Um, they're not getting any push up the middle pass rush either. So that's not helping him as well you know sometimes a lot of end sacks will happen you know the interior pushes up and they make the quarterback move and they can move right over to the right or the left and and they kind of roll right into an end who's winning a battle there and you can get a sack that way but he's not even got that I think two of his uh two of his sacks are um tap down sacks quarterbacks are on the ground he just tapped them um so he's not been as good as they needed him to be this year at all and that's uh you know he's dealing with a knee injury now so didn't play last week, so I'm not sure how effective he's going to be this week, although he did practice on Wednesday. So you mentioned Calais Campbell. You mentioned Ngakwe. Why, obviously, Ngakwe's situation, I guess let's start there. Would they have – was there any chance he would have played for them this year, or would he have gone full levy on Bell if, if they didn't trade him? Um, I thought that he would play for them at some point this year, but after the trade – um, I found out that um, there was no way he was going to play for them this year. He was going to sit out the whole year. He was not going to do it. Um, he just, he was that upset um, with, with the Jaguars, with the, with the franchise. I thought Dave Caldwell, the GM, was going to be able to repair that relationship with him that um, Tom Coughlin uh, in large part soured. Um, you know, when they started negotiating before, what was it, the 2019 season, and um, excuse me, 2000, was it? yeah, 2019 season. And uh, they started negotiating in July and, you know, the numbers weren't even close. 
And all Ngakwe heard from the Jags camp, I've been told, is that, well, you're not very good against the run. You're not good against the run. You're not real good against the run. Um, and then at the end of the month, they just abruptly cut off negotiations, the Jaguars did. So he was really upset. Um, things didn't go the way he wanted. There was no way um, he was going to sign that deal with Tom Coughlin around. When Tom Coughlin was fired, I thought Caldwell will be able to work something out and they'll be able to, to repair that relationship and get him here. But, you know, he's pretty adamant. He won a 20 a year. Um, and he took a pay cut to go play for the Vikings, uh, which tells you just how badly he didn't want to be here in Jacksonville. And the Jags got something for him. They got the best deal they could get. Um, and I get it. I do think that what we're seeing on the field this year from the Jaguars shows just how bad of a decision and how badly that situation went because it would be a significant upgrade to having Gakwe on one side, Josh Allen on the other. Um, and and it's, uh, it's just not working for the Jags this, this year, pass rush-wise. And Ngakwe's got already got, what, two strip sacks in Minnesota. So he's playing really, really well. And with Campbell, I mean, what happened there, too? I mean, was that – that was more of a money thing. They had to, one of their, their two main goals this offseason was to clean up the salary cap and clean up the locker room a little bit. Uh, Calais was obviously not a locker room problem. He's the NFL man of the year. Um, but, you know, he was due to make 15 plus million dollars this year. And the Jags felt that he didn't, he didn't play as well in 18 as he did 17. And the Jags felt he slipped a little bit more in 2019. But my issue with that is, is, well, you had him playing like 80% of the defensive snaps at 33, 34 years old. I mean, you need to be smarter than that, and you need to limit the number of snaps he plays because he's 33, 34 years old. Um, so they weren't going to sign him, and they did him a little bit of a favor by trading him to a contender in Baltimore, a team where he can play. He doesn't have to play every snap. Um, and, um, you know, they get – they, they could really use him, obviously, not just for the locker room stuff with, with such a young team, but the fact that he's still an effective pass rusher and he's still a guy that can get double-digit sacks. And it would take so much pressure off Josh Allen if he was here. So that's one of those moves, too, that, well, I understand why they made it, and it makes sense financially. Um, it, it just would have been a better idea to keep him around for another year. So what do the Jaguars do well on defense? Because the way you've talked about them makes it sounds like there might not be much. Uh, they really don't do anything well on defense. Let, uh, let's say that they're better against the run than I anticipated that they would be. You know, Al Woods, 330-pound nose tackle, opted out. Rodney Gunter, who they signed from the Cardinals to be an end uh, interior lineman, had a heart uh, issue, so he had to retire. And that's two big losses there, two really, really big losses. They'd be better against the run, even more so than they are now, um, uh, if those two guys were there. Now, they were pretty good, and then Joe Mixon really killed them um, two weeks ago. He had 170 yards rushing, so that was not good. But, you know, their best player is Miles Jack. He's moved back to the, out, to the weak side linebacker spot, and he is tearing it up. I mean, I think he's PFF's highest graded outside linebacker, uh, he's making plays sideline to sideline. So the one thing they do well was they found another middle linebacker in Joe Schobert and put Miles Jack back outside where he can make some plays, and they're letting him do that. Um, he made a fantastic interception in the end zone um, against the Bengals before getting hurt late in that game where he wasn't even um, looking at the quarterback, and, and he just ripped the ball out of the tight end's hands. It was, it was really it was a, a 
ridiculously athletic and smart play to make. So um, he's, he's been the best thing on that defense. Um, but other than that, um, you know, they're giving up big plays. They're, they're, they're giving up big plays in the run game on the outside. They lose contain, they get out of their gaps. Um, you know, guys are just blowing coverages. It's, it's, it's not a good unit. It really, really is not a good unit. And there's nothing that's going to change this year to fix it, um, which is why everybody around here is calling for Todd Wash's head, fire the defensive coordinator, but it doesn't make any sense because the personnel isn't great. So what do you do? You fire a defensive coordinator and then have someone else on staff have let the same kind of success with the same personnel. What what's what's the point there? So um, is Miles Jack gonna play on Sunday? Because I saw he was on yeah, the injury report too. Yes, he's supposed to play on Sunday. Um and was apparently close to playing last week too, but it just wasn't a hundred percent um enough for him to go. So and they need him on the field. They really, really do. I mean the way you described it, it sounds like if they don't have him on the field, it's not going to be pretty. No. No, I mean, and, and it wasn't, um, I mean, you look, look, the, the Texans are not a good football team. Okay. They're just not, I thought that was the first time I really got a chance to see them this year. And I thought, you know what, they've got Watson, they've got Watt, they've got some players, uh, Mercer, they should be a pretty solid team. They've just played some really, really good teams and they've been unlucky. But then when I watched them, they're not very good on offense. Um, it's Watson and really, I mean, Brandon Cooks, that was the first time Brandon Cooks, had done anything all year. So the fact that the, the Texans were able to roll up almost 500 yards on those guys last week tells me, um, you know, I don't know that Miles Jack would have made a significant difference, but um, yeah, they're not a good team and they went up and down the field on, on the Jags and it was, it was painful to watch. So is it entirely possible that this could be like a big 12, like 55, 48 football game here? Because it seems like the Lions can't stop the run and, and aren't great against the pass and can't pressure the quarterback. The Jaguars can't do anything defensively right. based off of the way. So, I mean, should, should fantasy owners basically start every player they can in this game, which might sound, you know, ludicrous? <laughs> Um, I would start Matthew Stafford without question in, in this game. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a safe play to start a quarterback against the Jaguars. I mean, if you look at the guy, look what Ryan Tannehill did to this team. Ryan Fitzpatrick tore this team up. Joe Burrow tore this team up. Um, at one point, quarterbacks were completing 80% of their passes against this defense through three weeks. 80%. And I think it's still over 70 at this point. Um, I haven't looked, but I know it was at 77, I think, after the Bengals game. So, I mean, yeah, play, play any offensive guy you've got on the Lions against the Jags. And um, if you're playing the Jags, I would probably, you're playing a Jaguars player, I'd play for sure James Robinson and maybe Minshew, because if they get up, the Lions get up, which is clearly possible by two or three scores, then, you know, he's going to have to start throwing the ball again. He's thrown it 40 times the last couple of weeks because they've been behind. So um, yeah, just, just look, I hope it's 35, 34, because at least it'll be entertaining. Um, the last thing I need and last thing you need is to sit through, you know, 17, 14 uh, and have to fight to stay awake to cover two bad teams. <laughs> so I want to ask you this because I, I am a veteran of, covering bad football, 
going back to our days covering Michigan and Florida, respectively, where Michigan was very, I think, mediocre in the years I covered them, if not bad. How do you deal with, because I've gotten this question a lot from fans, so I'm going to ask, and from listeners, so I'm going to ask you this question because I think they've probably heard enough from my perspective. How do you deal with covering a bad football team year in and year out? Um, well, I have a little bit of a different thing, too, because I cover a bad football team that nobody cares about um, nationally. I mean, fans don't care about it. And I think you have a little bit of that, but you've got guys that – you know, from a fantasy football perspective or, or guys that people really care about. But um, Jags are a small market. Um, so we are both in the same boat For in reality. What I try and do is I just – I know nationally that there's not a lot of interest in the actual football football, okay? There's not a lot of interest in that. There's interest in some of the big names, you know, with um, James Robinson and DJ Chark and Gardner Minshew, mainly because of fantasy and stuff. But other than that, I try not to write as much of that inside football stuff as, as I can. I try to, to find different stuff. I mean, it's, it's hard, um, especially in this day and age when it's all Zoom. But, um, you know, I look for something that doesn't really necessarily have anything to do with what's happening on the field. Um, and I kind of like those stories, the baloney story. Um, God, did we get a lot of mileage out of the baloney story. Oh, my God. Um, you know, and then I, I saw a, a folded flag in, in Blake Bortles' locker, and I'm like, where did that come from? So I, you know, I, it's, it's, I just try and look for different stuff. And I feel like if it interests me, because I'm a little bit um, quirky, I guess, in some of the stuff that I find interesting. So I figure if it's interesting to me and it makes me go, huh, um, then maybe that someone else will, will find it interesting too. And, and, you know, that's really the only way to, to get a lot of, um, to get people to care about a, a bad football team, a really bad football team. <laughs> I, I and you do a lot of that stuff. I mean, you do that yeah. stuff too. You do it as, as well as anybody. So, I mean, we're kind of, like I said, both in the same boat there. You just, you know, you just got to find something that's different. And, you know, and, yeah. and what I found too sure. is I don't know what it is with about Lions fans, but the majority of Jaguar fans, um, they're not those diehard fans. The ones that I've encountered, the majority of them, I think, are more casual, the semi-casual fans. Um, and those are the people that I'm really trying to write for instead of the hardcore guys. So that's why the baloney thing worked, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it can be difficult and interesting at times, for sure, when uh, you're you're looking at another team that's just – you know, I mean, listen, I'm, I don't know how much airtime this game is going to get. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> let's just, let's I, just I don't be want honest. Anyone, don't misunderstand me. I love my job. I love what yeah. I do. I totally, I'm not complaining about ESPN. Oh, neither am I. Like yeah, it's just, yeah. it's the I mean, reality it's, of covering we, bad football. Exactly. We have to work on a different level than, than some of the other guys do. And that's fine. Um, I like that. I mean, I, I covered really, really good football for a long time. I covered the the Gators when they were rolling under Urban and Tebow and, and the basketball team with Billy and, and Noah and Horford and stuff. So I, I've covered a lot of really, really, really good football and basketball. So um, I guess this is my penance um, after covering all that um, back in the day um, for the Times Union in Jacksonville. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it, was, it was a blast. And I guess we'll see what happens on Sunday. 
absolutely. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And uh, let's see if we can get that 35-34 game. Something like that. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Mike DiRocco, for coming on the show today. You can follow Mike on Twitter at ESPN DiRocco. That's ESPN D-I-R-O-C-C-O. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rothstein on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. We'll uh, get back to doing our Instagram live chats on game day mornings this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. I'll I'll tweet about that. And uh, yeah, I want to thank my sponsors, Indeed and Bet Online and Regions Field and Blue Wire Podcast. Don't forget to give us a five-star review if uh, you'd be so kind. And uh, more importantly, again, Vaughn McClure. I'm going to miss you, buddy. Rest in peace. And thinking about you. I think I probably think about you every day for a long, long time. So, like I said at the top of the podcast, go hug your people. Go call your people. Go go tell your people, your work people, your family people, your friend people, what they mean to you. Just so it was a good reminder. Take care and we'll talk to you Monday.